Leadership File on Premiere. Welcome to the show that aims to help change the way you lead. I'm Andy Peck. This is the time of the year when you may be looking at holiday brochures to sort where you're going out this year. My guest this week is part of a charity that's suggesting that you give up your two-week holiday to invest in the lives of some of the poorest in the world. His name is Alan McCormick, and he's the CEO of Mission Direct. So welcome, Alan, to the Leadership File. Thank you. Um, so your journey, first of all, to the to be CEO of Mission Direct. Yeah, it, it was an interesting journey. So I, I am an engineer and had spent my career in aerospace and defence, both in engineering and then running businesses. And at the age of 50, I got the chance to escape industry. And at home with some friends and with a home group, we prayed about whether it was time to do something different or go back into industry for one more go at it. And I'd always kind of joked about doing water in Africa. And I learned you've got to be careful about what you joke about because as we prayed, all the doors for Mission Direct got opened and I found myself joining Mission Direct in February 2014. Right. And so Mission Direct has has a kind of water component to it? It, it doesn't actually. We, we will put in... So what we predominantly do is we go out and we build and we build either schools, hospitals, safe accommodation and also homes for slum clearances. In addition, if we need to put water in, then we will go and get water contractors to help us with that. Okay. So we sure. do do it, but indirectly. Sure, splendid. I, I was, I, I was, um, I'll come on to a question about, particularly about Mission Direct in a minute, but you, I mean, your journey to faith? So, so I grew up in the north of Scotland, and I grew up in a Christian home. So as a kid of 12, I trusted the Lord as my saviour. I've got to say that I did it probably out of fear, of the reality of hell than of anything else at that age. But, you know, for the last 40-odd years now, I can say that God is faithful and I have a great saviour. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, so I, I have a similar sort of journey to you in that sense. Um, so, so tell me about uh, Mission Direct, how it began and the kind of things that you, you, um, you're involved in. You alluded to that a bit earlier. So, so Mission Direct came out of three men's obedience. There was an accountant who had been working in Mission before, an architect who had reached the point of 50 and was selling his business, and a pastor, church pastor. And they had a vision to say, we're going to go and help the world's poor. And they got together and they started a charity called Mission Direct 11 years ago now. And they have been busy building schools and hospitals, etc., for those 11 years. The, the vision is twofold, it is to go out and to serve the world's poor, but also the belief that says if you take people out on short-term mission trips, it broadens their worldview and strengthens their relationship with their Lord. Right, and so you mentioned something of the scope of the work a bit earlier, but uh, perhaps you can uh, reiterate the kind of things you do. Yeah, so we work right across the world, so we work in Brazil, at one end and Cambodia at the other end. We work also across Africa and Moldova. So we're in 11 countries across the world. And we have a heart for the underprivileged. Uh, And our passion is to go and build hope. And we do that by building schools. So if if I look in 
Uganda, we're building a school for disabled children to integrate them into education. In Kumi, again, Uganda, we're building a school. In Kenya this year, we'll be building schools. And, and you can go around the world where we built many schools. Uh, we also build medical facilities. So, for instance, we had a team with us last week in Sierra Leone where we were working on a hospital in Waterloo, which is just at the edge of Freetown. And we were busy, actually we were painting and decorating it and getting it to the point where we could start to get patients in it. And that was one of the Ebola centres there. And there are many other places we do that. Safe accommodation. You know, if you go to Moldova, you know, we've been working there for a few years now. The people trafficking in there is horrendous. And we've been working with various charities out there to help with safe accommodation. And FGM forced marriage in Kenya, we've been building centres out there to, for girls who are escaping from that. And then slum clearances, we've got people actually in Cambodia at the moment, and they're building bamboo houses so that people who live on the dump can escape living from there. Well, so that yeah. kind of gives you a flavour of what we do. Sure, and just if people don't know the, the sad initials FGM, that's a female genital mutilation, which is a Sadly, a practice in, uh, in of, of, um, for young girls in within uh, many African countries. Hello. Hi. Yeah, still there. I'm still here. Yes, yeah, so, so I, I expect you to agree with me. <laughs> oh yes, no, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, FGM. I mean, it's horrible. You, you talk, you hear them as they run up to the school holidays. You talk, you hear them talking about the cutting season starting. Oh. And you know. During the school term, it's not so bad in Africa, but during the holidays, that's when these centres get full of girls and they're just escaping. Also forced marriage. You know, in Kenya, your daughter is valued at five cows. Gracious. So they'll sell their daughter for five cows. And it's just, you know, they end up being the third or the fourth wife of a 65-year-old man. You know, and that's their life is just, you know, ruined from <coughs> that point on. Uh, I mean, within African culture, it's 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 believed there are benefits to this, of course. So we need to add that uh, mis misguided though it is um, as a, as an approach. Um, so uh, I mean, you've, you work in many con con continents. How do you how do you decide where? I mean, you know, sadly, the the, the, the poor countries in the world there are there are just numerous. You you work in about eleven. How, how have uh, how's, how's, how have those particular eleven countries come across? 11 countries have come out of relationships. Right. So as we've met people or we've had a heart for a country, your relationships have started uh, and we go, we've gone in to help people. So as Mission Direct, we own nothing and we run nothing. So we come alongside people who are already doing good work and we give them a helping hand. So we'll go in and we'll work with them. So for instance, in Zambia, you know, there's a doctor that works in the UK that was in one of the local churches here. And we worked with him. There's also a youth worker that we worked with him and, you know, various other people. And relationships just started where we went in to help. And we've tended to be in many of our places for long term. So I should probably say we take people out on two-week trips with us. But as a charity, we make long-term commi long commitments in the countries. So we will build, for instance, in Zambia last year, we built the new rescue centre for the girls who were living on the street. Um, we've been working that. We'll work on it again this year. But we took people out on two-week trips to help us with that. But our commitment is to get the whole project done. 
Right, right. And uh, that that will include, of course, uh, obviously providing finance. So, so the model works by everyone goes out, they're self-funding, mm-hmm. but they also then fundraise to, to help put up the buildings. I see, okay. And as a model, we work in the mornings on the project, so we hire local builders and we assist the local builders. So we work on the buildings in the morning. In the afternoons, we go and we work in the local community and that varies from supporting palliative care to doing kids' work to you know a whole range of different things depending on the country you're in and the need that there is. Right. Uh, so I was going to um, uh, ask the question. You know, that obviously not not all projects fit neatly into two weeks, and clearly your your projects are beyond that. And you lo- you use local builders, and that some of the criticism of of some missions is that they in in taking people out uh, to those countries they are. Um, preventing local people from getting work but clearly you're very aware of that and, and seeking to use local people as well so yeah our goal is that we we employ you know so we're, we're providing a work for drivers we're providing work for people who have hotels we also go work for builders etc we'll often work hard to be able to sponsor the children as well and so on and so forth so we're very conscious about dependency. We're very conscious of just dropping into a country and dropping out and not doing good. And one of our things is do no harm. So when we're in country, we do no harm. We do no harm to the people we're working with, and we do no harm to the people who come with us. Yeah. Uh, now, you've just returned from, from Sierra Leone. Uh, what was what was it like? It was amazing. I've got to be honest, I was nervous about going, and I was meant to go a year past September when Ebola broke out, and of course you hear all the stories about Ebola, and so I was a bit apprehensive about going, but it's a beautiful country, and they're amazing people, but Ebola has absolutely devastated that country. You know, I was sitting listening to some kids talk with, who stay at Nehemiah Lifeline, and they were telling their stories. A one little boy who was about 10, you know, told his story about how he had 19 family members and 17 of those family members died due to Ebola. And My now word. there is only him and his little sister left. Gracious me. Right. And what will become of him? So he now stays at Nehemiah Lifeline. Nehemiah Lifeline is a Christian centre run by the child soldiers. And they have taken him into his family there. Well, well, and I guess that was—that's not untypical of the kind of stories that uh, that can be told in that area. Oh, you can go through another centre where we work at St George's, which is uh, you know an orphanage, and you know they had the leaders of the orphanage died of Ebola. They had another couple come in to run the centre. Uh, they also died of Ebola, and you know it's another leader that's in. So. So the impact of Ebola has been devastating, but but the country's full of people who have got a fighting spirit. You know, they we were with them. I I was only there for a week, but I met some incredible people. You know, they're really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. And uh, presumably, you're 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 seeking to continue to fundraise for that particular area and that particular work. So yeah, our next team goes out to Sierra Leone at Easter time and we're carrying on. We've been building work in hospitals and in schools there and we'll be building classrooms at Easter time. So there'll be another two classrooms will go on to a school which is called the Quarry School in Freetown. Well, well. 
Good. Well, you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Alan McCormick. Alan is the CEO of Mission Direct, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Alan McCormick. Alan is the CEO of Mission Direct. He was talking before the break of the fact that Mission Direct work in 11 uh, countries. They're seeking to help the poorest of the poor, particularly in building uh, hospitals and schools and, and other buildings that can serve the community well. And uh, his uh, aim and, and vision for Mission Direct is to take teams of uh, a folk, particularly in the UK, out uh, on two-week projects to experience a little bit of, uh, of what's going on to help fundraise for those kind of projects. So moving on, um, uh, Alan, to your particular work as the as the CEO, the, your leadership role, I'm sure you don't have an average week, but what are the kind of what's the kind of priorities that you face month by month? So it's interesting. You're moving from industry into charity. There are a lot of similarities between the two, you know. But the fascinating thing about it, and the bit that motivates you with the bureaucracy that goes with running a charity, is the the impact that you can have. You know, the impact that knows that you know. For instance, in Malawi. We were building a school in Malawi for the last few years, and we got to October time, and there was no kids in it and no headmaster. And we were questioning whether we should continue building that school. And between October and now, God has put in a headmaster and 400 kids. Wow. So (laughs) my week is probably fairly normal, except that you see God doing amazing things as well. So I guess that makes it not normal. (laughs) Uh, But... You know, from running a business, it's very similar. The challenges of cash flow, the challenges of, of getting flights booked, getting people committed to doing the work, raising funds, are just very similar to, to running a business. But the impact of it is what motivates me and keeps me driving. Yeah, yeah. And you've just come back from Sierra Leone. What, how many sort of trips would you have in a year? So, so the charity does 40-plus trips a year. Wow. I personally do about half a dozen trips. My wow. next trip I'm planning to do is I'm going to go to Kenya, and then I think I'm going to go to India, followed by Uganda and probably Moldova. Well, wow. well. Wow. Um, and, and how do you determine which trips to go on? Is there, Do you do, do it as a leadership team? So from my personal point of view is I try to go to each of the countries every two years. Okay, yeah. So so I have a little rota, basically, that works around the countries. Uh, and as a team in Mission Direct, every person on the team here goes and visits at least one country so that we get you know a perspective of what's happening in the country and we can talk freshly about it. Right, right. Now, um, you're working with volunteers. You take teams of, of people... Uh, overseas, what sort of t- size of the teams are we talking? So, so the teams can vary. They can range from quite small teams to four or five up to about twenty. Right. Okay. In fact, the largest is probably mid twenties. We take. Mm. Uh, and and the, it, sorry, carry on. Yeah. On you go. Well, I was going to say, what kind of screening takes place with the folk? I mean, it's all very well saying, "Well, we'll take we'll take people," but this is it can be kind of you know challenging culturally to go to a place for a few weeks challenging physically uh so the kind of screening that happens so so what we do is we've got a fairly rigorous application process and because we need you're right the environments that you go into can be emotionally quite difficult at times so we need to make sure that people are able to cope with that and also from a health point of view you know they haven't got any ailments that will cause them problems out there 
So, so we do screen all those kind of things, but we also ask for references. So we take references on people as well to check that it's appropriate. Because again, there's a great responsibility going out to serve, but it's also a great privilege. Uh, and we need to be careful that, you know, we do no harm to the individual and they do no harm to the people they're working with. Indeed, indeed. And the sort of numbers uh, in, in a year, you talked about 40 sort of trips. Um, so we've got about 400 a year come out, well, 400. Gracious me, yeah. And, and they're mostly Christian? It's about 85% of yeah. the population that come are Christians. Uh, the team that we had with us in Sierra Leone last week was a corporate team, so predominantly non-Christian. Uh, it, it varies, and you know, non-Christians are very. In fact, anyone's very welcome to come with us, as long as they're sympathetic to what we do. We, we are clearly a Christian charity, uh, and we're going out to serve the poor and to honour our Lord. And, and if they're happy to work with that, then we're happy to take them with us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, clearly, uh, there's there's a funding challenge uh, to what you do. Um, you say some of the funds are raised by the, the folk who are coming on the trip, but obviously there must be a, a shortfall typically in the sort of projects you're involved with. How does your funding take place? So, so our funding model breaks down into three parts. Uh, those who are going overseas pay a contribution. That contribution covers their costs for going, and we ask each person to do that. We also ask each person to, to help fundraise for the buildings. And... My experience so far has been that if people are committed to go, the money comes in for them to go. It doesn't become a problem to them. Lots of people I've heard make it a reason for not going, but actually when they decide they are going to go, then the money stops being an issue normally. Also, the money for the buildings come in, and then the third element is actually you need money to run the charity, and we do fundraising as well to, to run the core of the charity. So we... We get what we need, not necessarily what we would like, and and we basically build to the extent that we have the funds for it. Splendid. Um, the, I mean, obviously, the uh, as, as CEO, do you have kind of sleepless nights about the funding issues? I, I don't think I've got fun, uh, sleepless nights about the funding issues. The, the bit that I guess probably always causes me concern is getting enough people who are willing to travel overseas and to serve. You know, it, it sounds interesting, it sounds exciting, but actually to get people to commit. And we're only looking for people to commit two weeks of their time, but, but sometimes there's some hesitancy there. Once they've been, then they're amazed at the impact they can have and also at the impact that visiting has on their lives. But it's probably more getting people to commit that they they will come with us is the, the bit that causes me concern. Right, right. And uh, in terms of the age range, um, have you got a kind of upper and lower limits? Yeah, our lowest limit is seven years old. And oh, really? Well. <laughs> the reason for that is because if they're younger than seven, the mums and dads spend more of their time worrying about the children right. than actually yeah, yeah. getting on it and enjoying themselves and doing the work out there. Mm. And the oldest person we've taken is 88 years old. 88? Gracious 88. me. <laughs> so I met a chap a year ago now, I think it was, who was 84 years old. And, you know, I was talking to him and he told me he was a slow learner. He wished he'd learned to go far earlier on in his life, but he was thrilled that he'd gone as, 80, as an 84-year-old. 
well. So there's a challenge for anyone who's um, maybe got a bit of free time in their retirement years, perhaps, to actually think that maybe maybe going overseas for a fortnight. Because um, for some people this will be a holiday, but for other people maybe they've got they've got spare time. Um, you know, it, it doesn't need to be their holiday out of their holiday allocation, but they could actually uh, be free to to go. Um, you know, during uh, during what would be working time for other people. Yeah. I- it will have an amazing effect on you. I mean, we do tend to get the two peaks in the age ranges. The peak is in the early 20s, but we also get early retirees. Yeah. So where they're fit enough, their family commitments, you know, the kids have moved on, etc., cetera, uh, and they're happy to go and invest time overseas and support some of the world's poor. Fantastic. Uh, and so where next for Mission Direct? You've, you're working with 11 countries. Are you looking to expand that? Have you got relationships in the pipeline that might lead to other projects? The, the answer is we often get requests, can we come to various countries and expand the work? What we're doing is we're focusing on the 11 countries that we've got. You know, There's a danger that you dilute yourself so much that you become ineffective and we're trying hard to safeguard against that. So our intention is to stay in the 11 countries and to continue to deepen our relationships with our partners out there. And consolidate and, I guess, expand. Like you just said, you expanding uh, classrooms in Sierra Leone, that will be the kind of thing you might do. Yeah, uh, and it's all about relationship. Hmm. You know, So you're working with people, you, you learn more of what their needs are, uh, and we, we get deeper into the communities. Splendid. Now, um, presumably there's a website that people can uh, go to to uh, find out. I, I know there is one because that's how I got some of my information. So yeah. can you remind us of the uh, website address? Yeah, it's missiondirect.org. So it's nice and simple. Okay. And if someone was to, to go there and uh, and find out information, how soon might they be uh, able to, to go on a trip? You talked about a screening process. Oh, the screening process is very quick. But it would, you know, so if people wanted to go Easter time, they could go Easter time. There's spaces in Kenya and also in Sierra Leone at Easter. So the teams are up and running for there. But if you wanted to go to Kenya or Sierra Leone, there's that. And then in the summer, we've got many different countries you can go to. Wonderful. Well, Alan, it's been fantastic to, to chat with you and hear, hear about this, this you know, thrilling uh, uh, ministry, uh, charity, uh, and the opportunities for folk, you know, listening to this show just now to actually get involved in a cross-cultural experience for, for a fortnight, which would actually help some of the poorest of the poor. So thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Andy. Nice speaking to you. So we'll be, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Alan McCormick. Alan is the CEO of Mission Direct. So you can go to the website missiondirect.org and uh, find out more about the opportunities uh, to go overseas yourself, uh, maybe as part of a team. Uh, maybe you've got a group in your church you want to go together. Uh, that would be uh, something you could do. Or you can look, log on to Premier's own website, www.premier.org.uk, and listen to archive versions of the Leadership File. Uh, you can also log on to iTunes. Uh, the archive versions of the Leadership File last about a month on Premier's website, so thereafter they're available on iTunes, and you can um, uh, click to uh, download all the episodes of the leadership file in case you uh, miss any so that's uh, something you could do and uh, it would encourage us to see the the numbers growing in that particular area uh, do uh, email me a peck at cwr.org.uk if you've got ideas of topics or indeed of guests um, some of the guests that i've um, interviewed have been people that have been suggested by listeners just like you so uh, thank you for joining us this week i look forward to your company again next sunday at three thirty.
God bless. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.